0: Welcome to Cinebabel episode 40. This is our Halloween spooktacular. I guess that feels kind of copyrighty. I bet somebody else has already used that. This is our, I what do we written, call this? I, I had it copyrighted before we started. Oh, so okay. We're, it's well, ours. Then we're safe. No, mm-hmm. what did we call this? It was the decades of horror or something uh, like that. 50 years of horror. 50 years of horror. Cinebabel episode 40. It would have been better if we had timed it for episode 50 and made it 50 years of horror. Or maybe just made it 40 years of horror since our 40th episode. But... I am Ken, your host, and as always, my uh, frightening co-host, Clinton Jones. Clint, tell the world hello. Hi, world. I'm here. <laughs> you know, I give you, you know, 40 episodes, Clint. I've given you 40 times to come up with something uh, that was, you know, Edward Murrow, kind of good night and good luck. I feel like, um, give high,
1: me, I feel like, hi, world. Hi, world. I'm here. I think that is pretty oh, it's, good. It, yeah. it is.
0: I mean, as far as 2020 and 2021 is, is concerned, I guess that is pretty... Uh, Revolutionary and miraculous that we are here. Yeah. We do exist. (laughs) We almost didn't exist this episode Mm -hmm. because I got jealous of Clint having a new cat. So we went out to the pet store and we got, well, it was a humane society and we got a new cat. And so Clint and I came down here into the the office to record in our nice little recording studio that we've set up. And uh, the cat had
1: apparently chewed through. Uh, what the, the power cord, the, power cord and the cord headphone their... cords, and... yeah, the and uh, and my headphone cord, which is currently staticking out on me. So, uh,
0: <laughs> so I thought it was completely impossible. I said it is impossible for this little cat to chew through wires. And Clint kept telling me it was possible to the point that I shoved one of the wires in my <laughs> mouth and started to gnaw because I was going to prove that it's not possible. Then, lo and behold, I definitely chewed through that wire. It was way easier than I thought. Don't buy uh, power cords on Amazon, kids. I just don't think any power cord is meant for chompers, man. Well, I, I just, I thought it was impossible, and my the wife loops. happened to be standing here and making fun of the fact that I'm chewing through this cord. The
1: loops you jump through to justify that it was not your cat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it like, wasn't that it wasn't my cat. It just, it seemed so impossible that this little six-pound cat could cause that kind of damage, but...
1: I mean, you trap an animal in a room for a
0: week. And... I guess. I just like the idea that we're becoming such a threatening podcast that some other podcasters had broken into the studio and, and cut some wires. You think she was a
1: plant? Like, uh, Yes. They yes. knew the cuteness could not be denied, yes. and they yes. knew that she would chew through yes. all her cords. all hail Q. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's, what is that
0: short for cute? Yeah. Did you... Uh, by the way, yeah. we're, we're talking about horror today, and uh, did you see the Batman trailer? I did see the Batman the trailer. The Batman trailer looks like... The Batman looks like a horror
1: flick. Yeah, it looks uh, like Fincher. I kind of loved it. What'd you think? I... Well, you know my feelings about superhero stuff I in general. I do. But the one warm spot in my heart for superhero stuff is Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm always excited for Batman stuff, and... um. When I saw Matt Reeves was doing this, that gave me a lot of hope. I really liked the Planet of the Apes movies. Man, I was really into the new trailer. I am so excited. It looks like Fincher's making a Batman movie. It's, I don't know. It's really cool looking.
0: And even back when Aronofsky was attached to a year one Batman, that's kind of the Batman I was picturing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know this seems a little more than year one, but... Uh, I just I love the look of it, and uh, I love the the serial killer vibe with the rhythm, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's almost got that zodiac. Uh, sort of feel Or or Seven Yeah uh, It has a lot of Seven there It almost feels like He's giving himself up To the police intentionally and Oh for sure just, There's yeah. different things there It's raining in the city The whole time Yeah and... I'm
1: really hoping Like a Paul Dano Like Prisoners performance yeah. Where he's just Super creep ball yep. Yeah yep. That's gonna be fun uh, The the other thing That, that really
0: struck me Was uh, it's, it's something where uh, You have Finally a Batman That viscerally uh, Looks Oh uh, as as if he is a vigilante that is taking care of criminals. There's there's such a brutality to yeah. the action in this.
1: And like he's like dealing with his own psychotic and like mm-hmm. and methods. It's crazy. Yeah. And I think he's it looks like the best Batman. Yeah. Like, you know, just he looks like he fits in the world and like he can move properly. Like they yeah. finally figured out the neck issue. Which is crazy that yeah. it's taken
0: this long to figure yeah. out how to build a Batman costume that allows somebody to move like a fighter.
1: Yeah. Uh, but Well, I guess that that plays into the whole like he's a vigilante and he's kind of, like kind of looks like he made the suit. So it, mm-hmm. ha- it gave a lot more room for yep. their own interpretation of like, oh, it doesn't have to be this super slim lined neck and everything. It can be yeah. kind of – um, armor and bulky and yeah, it looks awesome.
0: Yeah, and it looks like it took kind of a page from The Dark Knight on that because that's when um, the the Christopher Nolan Batmans started to to get that idea of yeah. let's make him more tactical mm-hmm. uh, than, you know, more traditional superhero. And it's like you said, it's Matt Reeves. And if Matt Reeves can make me care about Planet of the Apes, which I know a lot of people have love for the original. I just, that was, I guess, before my time mm-hmm. and the idea of of the Planet of the Apes concept didn't even really intrigue me and then matt reeves made me fall in love with that entire series in in three films
1: well i mean i think he they did an amazing job with the le- the right one in trail or um, oh yeah his the, remake. the remake man like i was so like upset when i heard they were remaking that but i think he did such a good job with yeah. that and made it his own and oh the cat's saying hi
0: yeah you can just shove her won't find <laughs> us it's all right
1: yeah so I'm excited for it have <laughs> that was, you that was a good That was a good just right back into it. Have you ever tried to watch like the when people on YouTube try to react to trailers? yes. I have. Those are the most annoying things I've kind of ever— Like, it's—their the reactions are so fake and big. It's just like, I don't want to watch this movie. You
0: know? yeah. Even when it's, it's somebody who has legitimate reactions, Kevin Smith will do trailer reactions yeah. or New rock stars will do trailer reactions. I enjoy both of them. But essentially, you're just watching somebody smile and laugh for two and a half minutes at something you've already watched and you're waiting for them to comment on it. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're doing a running commentary of the trailer as it goes because they've already seen it. It's this initial reaction. And that would be like the first time you're in the movie theater and a trailer comes up. You not watching the trailer, but just staring at the people that you're with. Right. And right. watching how they react to it. Like, what a strange... I get glancing over and like, oh, we're having fun with this, that kind of community aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah. But just like staring but someone... But just staring down, at yeah. somebody
0: is very strange to me. Mm-hmm. I've I've watched a handful and and I just don't enjoy it. I think the closest I've come is is Kevin Smith, just because he has small meltdowns and ends up crying at the end of every <laughs> superhero trailer and I love it, so... Uh, but other than that, I don't know. I'm 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 really psyched for for the Batman. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and just shove her off every time. I don't know why she loves you so much. I have cords. Oh, I have cords around yeah.
1: my head. She's gonna bite through her them. I'll get put, my jugular in the here process. Here you go, kitty. There you go. All right. Well,
0: today we have uh, quite the Halloween episode planned. We are, like we said, doing fifty years of horror. We have gone through the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, and the knots. And here's how the the structure of today is going to go. We've gone through each decade, and we've picked out kind of our our top five movies plus some honorable mentions. And then we've also watched some movies and reviewed some movies, uh, or we'll be reviewing some movies from each of those decades as we go. And we're just going to kind of go decade by decade and have some conversation and see where we end up. Does that sound about right, Clint? I think you got it, Ken. I think right. you nailed it. Good. Yeah. So let's start in the
1: 1960s. Uh, Clint, what was your top five 1960s horror movies? Well, I, I'm just going to run through these real quick. Okay. But um, I have an unsettling amount of Polanski on here. Oh, which... okay. Yeah. How? Do, I, I was going to bring that up. How do
0: you feel about... Uh, once we had talked about Luke Besson the other week because of the professional, yeah. does that taint your experience with directors once things are found out, like Polanski or or Woody Allen?
1: Um, like the Woody Allen did Polanski, I don't know. I, I I I feel it it it's awful and terrible, but I there's I really like Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the the. Um, the professional one is really hard to ignore when it's yeah. right in your face during the movie. Um, generally, I, I don't know. I can kind of keep it separate.
0: I find same thing with with Kevin Spacey or other actors. I think the big difference for me for for a Woody Allen is you can see those plot lines in his yeah, movies, yeah. and it's it's always a well not always but it's often an older man falling in love with a. Younger than 18 or very close to 18, female lead. Mm-hmm. And once you connect that, oh, his stories are mirroring the accusations and some of the things, that's when it pulls me out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, the closest I get with something like Kevin Spacey is Baby Driver because yeah. he just has this affection for this young male. And all I keep thinking of is, oh,
1: <laughs> I think I'm also more inclined to not, maybe not go in find out more movies from the person it's kind of like I cut it off yeah I don't know it's really tricky all
0: right so anyway sorry to interrupt you I was curious about that 1960s what are your top five
1: so repulsion from 1965 with Polanski Mm -hmm. um night of the living dead 1968 by Romero Rosemary's Baby from 1968 by Polanski. Psycho from 1960. Carnival of Souls from 1962. Have you ever seen Carnival of I Souls? I have.
0: Yes. It's I, been a it's been a minute, but yeah, I've I've seen it.
1: There's an atmosphere to that movie that I just love. Like there's this creepy organ score to it. And I really find it fascinating that it's made by like um uh, Herc Harvey, who was like an industrial filmmaker, really? he, like he would make educational films and mm-hmm. industrial films. Right. And then he got an idea for a horror film and he's like, Hey, I'm going to make this thing. And so huh. he made it over like, I don't know, a couple weekends, and And
0: that's really surprising. I would, I would never have guessed that it was a kind of first time filmmaker or, or a you know, not accomplished a tour type of. Filmmaker. I know. Yeah. So that's got such a, a mood to it. I
1: know. So that that's just a, like such a fascinating hmm. little bit of history to okay. it. And it's just, it got a really interesting atmosphere. Okay. Um, then I have two other kind of not honorable mentions, but they're ones that I kind of just recently watched okay. and um, blood in black lace from 1965 mm-hmm. by Mario Bava. Um, he's part of that, like, Italian, um, is it Giallo or Yalo? Giallo? Um, and he was before, um, like, earlier on than, you know, like, Suspiria by Dario Argento. It was like he kind of influenced those kind of directors later on. And it would be a perfect um, companion to Suspiria because that, like, you know, takes place in the ba- the bla- ballet school. Mm-hmm. And this takes place in, like, this high-end fashion industry where this killer is going around and killing models. Yeah. And uh, so it's really fun. And it's got that really interest like, strong lighting and the technicolor. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful looking.
0: What was that movie we reviewed that you loved and I hated? It was on Netflix and it was... It was a horror movie in the fashion industry. It was like about a dress.
1: I think it was called like The Dress. Oh, is that what it was? And
0: I just did not get it at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I really enjoyed that one. (laughs) And then the other one was Persona by Ingmar Bergman. Yes. And um, I don't know if you would necessarily completely classify it as a horror movie, more a psychological thriller Mm -hmm. with horror elements mixed in. But man, this movie was so good. It is... So modern In how it feels Way ahead of its time So And like the acting Is so good It's And man The shots in it Are amazing And for a movie Where it's just Two characters And one doesn't Speak at all There is so much In that movie And uh and if you haven't thought of it as a horror movie, it's I think it really fits in that category. It's really interesting. It definitely
0: is. And speaking of, the the literal first one on my list is uh Bergman's Persona. I'm really excited uh, that you like that. That's in my top 5. Yeah. I just I I very much I didn't go to it because I thought it was a horror movie. I watched it during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just came away from it. That's that's one of them. I think I watched it one more time after that. It was just how have I missed this movie or or really not even heard of it before. Yeah. Um, I um it's it's Fantastic.
1: Recently, or I guess just recently on the Criterion channel, um, Edgar Wright did his pick of movies, yeah. and yeah. that was one of his films. Oh, so cool. that's kind of like it was one that I meant to see for a long time, and that kind of just cemented, like, oh, I need to watch this, and I did, and man, it was so good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have
0: Personas, Is uh, these aren't in any order, but I have Persona at the top of my list. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane? Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. It's one that's been parodied a lot, but it's about two sisters living at home, one in a wheelchair, and and the one in the wheelchair is essentially being domineered by the one uh, that's taking care of her. Mm-hmm. And the one in the wheelchair is essentially trying to figure out how to off her, her oh. domineering sister. And it's it's 100% that uh, – it's, it's, it's a holdover from the 50s and 40s yeah. where it's that – that style of old Hollywood acting. Mm-hmm. And you would probably even recognize some of the lines from different spoofs and satires and things like that. But it's genuinely creepy. And one of those movies that I would not mind at all if somebody like a Fincher yeah. uh, remade it and just give me two of, of the best actresses we have working today, mm-hmm. put them in a small confined space and just have them hate each other. That's cool. And the one that, that needs to be free is at a complete disadvantage and slowly going mad. and And the one that, is, you know, free to come and go is just power hungry. Hmm. Uh, So Persona, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Rosemary's Baby, which I have great affection for, Psycho. And then um, I had a hard time choosing between Night of the Living Dead and Hitchcock's The Birds.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: And I finally went with Night of the Living Dead just because I think it had more... um, it became more iconic, and it was it was mm. more revolutionary and and a little more influential on yeah. what came after it. Where the Birds is a, is a very good movie, but I I don't think when you go back and watch it, it holds up quite as well, particularly in the effects and <laughs> and some other things. It it kind of spoils some of the scares. But uh, so I probably lean towards Night of the Living Dead, but that shoves the Birds into my kind of honorable mentions. And then have you ever heard of a, a movie called Eyes Without a Face?
1: Yes, that was on my list. Okay, uh, yeah. Eyes Without a
0: Face is one I just recently discovered Mm -hmm. this past two weeks. Really? I was looking through and just looking at highly reviewed horror movies from the 60s, -hmm. and the description of it caught caught my eye. And I actually wish I hadn't read the description. I wish I had gone in blind and just watched it. Yeah. And so if you haven't seen Eyes Without a Face. That's really good. Definitely check that one out. Uh, but for the 1960s, today we reviewed a movie I had never heard of Not called either. Peeping Tom. Yeah. And uh, just to, to give you kind of an idea of what's going on in Peeping Tom, it's about a loner named Mark Lewis who works at a film, film studio during the day. And at night, he takes photographs of women. He's also making a documentary on fear, which involves recording the reactions of victims as he murders them. He befriends Helen, the daughter of the family living in the apartment below his, and he tells her vaguely about the movie he's making. She sneaks into his apartment to watch it and is horrified by what she sees. Uh, especially, the description
1: says, when Mark catches her. Uh, Clint, what, what'd you think of Peeping Tom? I honestly love this movie. Really? Okay. I thought it was... I mean, I think it's just on par, like, on par with Psycho or any of that stuff from that time period. I, I think the it's so beautiful in the technicolor that, that look to it. And I found it so fascinating, like the things it was dealing with for the time, like how it was playing with the, um, like slasher genre so early on. And this tech- this came out the same year as Psycho and it like mm-hmm. has a lot of the same themes and, you know, like voyeurism and, um, like uh, like that has more mother issues. This is father issues. So family issues in general, but it's just, and I think for that time, the acting is really good and, um, it doesn't feel super dated. Like some stuff can, I feel like it's pretty naturalistic in a way. Um, and it's just so, um, like, interesting is dealing with, like, the pornography industry in that time. And there's, like – this is, like, the first movie with, like, full frontal nudity. And that's just, like – that was took me by surprise. And it was just – it was – I think it was great. And it just – it really was intense in those moments where he's – um performing his murders, and it gets deeper and more interesting of why he's doing it and how he's doing it. So I I actually, I love this movie. This would be a great double feature with Psycho. For sure. Mom issues, dad
0: issues. And I I thought it was really interesting that in Psycho, it's really playing with the idea uh, and introducing that trope of you have no idea who the killer is. Yeah. And you're piecing it together as you go. Whereas Peeping Tom... It's telling you right up front. right? And those are two very different kinds of horror. One is in the mystery of it. The other is in the we, the audience, are ahead of the victims, mm-hmm. essentially. And, and there's something unsettling about that. I, I thought this was fantastic, too. This was a complete shock to me. I really thought this was going to be a, a sort of subpar Psycho. Mm-hmm. And I came away thinking that if Psycho didn't exist – this is the movie we would talk about. I know the way we talk about Psycho
1: because uh, I don't know if the filmmaking is is quite as it's not as flashy. Uh, yeah, but it, there I don't know. There's some really iconic scenes in this. There is, and and again, that's that's knowing Psycho exists and right. comparing it yeah. to Psycho.
0: Uh, but it's it's really interesting to me that these just happen to come out the same year. I almost wonder if this is a little too ahead of its time, for sure. Because watching like documentaries like Seventy Eight Fifty Two about Psycho, there's a lot of discussion about what he could and couldn't show and what right. he could and couldn't do. And this movie is not as concerned with that. No, no. And so I don't know if it would have. Even if it had moved somehow to the forefront, I don't know if it would have been able to build the kind of following that Psycho did. Because Psycho, I mean, even at the time, it was shocking to people, but it was still a movie that allowed for kind of a a larger fan base. Yeah. And and I think this is definitely much more of a cult film that would have taken longer.
1: Right. Well, this – I mean, it basically ruined Mike Powell's career. Really? This was – he had done a. he had done so many movies. He was part- Oh, he did Black Narcissist. And I was going, going back the to Red his shoes. IMDb page. Yep. Um, man, he's done so much work. And he It was pulled from theaters after like five okay. days because there was such an outcry over it. And I think you're completely right. It was just too ahead of its time. Oh. But- Man, it's it's so interesting and yeah. so good. Yeah. And it, the
0: other thing is, um, it, it was one that as I was going back and reading about it, I realized how often this movie's been mentioned, and mm. it, I never picked up on it. Different horror directors referencing this movie yeah. uh, in his work. And I didn't realize, at least in the, the horror filmmaker community, this is as influential in a lot of ways as Psycho. Right, right. I saw that the, there was a
1: bunch of... Um, big directors like Scorsese and who refer like completely hold this movie and in, in just the top of the heap yeah um I I it's really I really would love somebody to somehow bring back that technicolor look in a very yeah. I don't know not a modern way but like I love that look that look it's so it's so surreal and um it has a dreamlike it, quality. It's really dreamy, yeah.
0: And it, and it and it puts you kind of on your back foot, where you just feel, even in scenes that would be otherwise normal or or unremarkable, you you just get this sense of um, of tension and and knowing that things are askew.
1: Yeah, and I feel like there, like the beginning, like opening scene to this, where he's kind of on the street and mm-hmm. he like solicits a prostitute to kill. Like it's a very kind of set looking mm-hmm. like scene, like it's on a set, and but that Technicolor look to it just it just makes it all combined in this very dreamlike, yeah. and it's all through his camera lens, and so it just compounds into this really like interesting visual.
0: Oh, and that was, as, as we were talking about the movies we were going to watch from each decade that we were going to kind of highlight, we were really looking for movies that, you know, we hadn't seen or we hadn't really had a lot of experience with. And when we, Came up with the final list. I was worried, like, what? What a strange <laughs> uh, group of films we're going to be talking about. But I had an absolute blast, and this Me this too. kicked it off. I watched them in order, okay, and and this kicked it off where I just I cannot believe it is 2021, and I am just now discovering this movie because it really it really belongs kind of in that horror pantheon of of movies that uh, especially for the time period. Yeah really, really have a, a degree of effectiveness and, and starkness that, like I said, really ahead of its time.
1: It made me really excited, too, in just discovering new films. Yeah. Because it just made me, like, there's sometimes I get complacent and I'm just, like, looking for the same kind of movies or, like, re-watching things I haven't seen. But, like, going through all these horror lists and just, like, kind of, like, Combining them and trying to figure out which ones are actually really good or just I, I don't know and it was really exciting like finding this and then like watching Persona because that was on a couple yeah. of horror lists and um I, I don't know it just made me really excited for just I don't know film yeah yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah well it's it's a good feeling and sometimes when I guess I've I've gotten in the rut for so many years of just watching new movies predominantly or yeah. when I go back to mm-hmm. previous decades. I watch movies that I'm already familiar right. with. And it's – this last two years, I've really started to discover movies that I had missed. And there's something really exciting about that, uh, just just being able to find these these gems, whether other people love them or not. Right, right. Just discovering things that, that you had been missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that takes us to the 1970s. Uh, and the 1970s is where horror really <sighs> – I don't have the words for it, but it really takes a shift. It really I, – I think there's a loosening on what's able to be shown in theaters. Mm. I think that's a big part of yeah. it. And it starts very independent, but you start to get this much more uh, graphic version of horror. Yeah. And maybe not even just in, in violence, but in themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre – you know, when you go back and watch it, you're like, this this movie doesn't have any blood. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's it's horrifying and could have never been made any well, version the, of it. The, in the 60s. subject
1: matter alone. I mean, yeah. just like basically yeah. cannibalism. I yeah. mean,
0: <laughs> so so let's dive into the 1970s, Clint. What were your top five from the 70s?
1: House Hasu from 1977.
0: I'm so glad that was one of my
1: honorable mentions. That one is so good and fun. And and it's one of those like you would see it and you almost think that, like, did somebody make this in the style of a 1970s movie? But no, this is from the 90s. It has such bizarre sequences. It's great. Um, The Exorcist, of course, Mm -hmm. from 1973. Eraserhead from 1977. Alien? Which some
0: people don't in, include as a horror movie, but Eraserhead is is genuinely horrifying to me. Yeah. It really is a horror movie.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it is. Yeah. But Alien from mm-hmm. 1979. Um, the Brood ah. from 1979, which, yep. one of my favorites of which all time.
0: Which is a great movie for anybody that doesn't want to be a parent. Uh, watch this movie <laughs> and you won't want children for a solid year. It's... Oof.
1: And I couldn't have five, so I um, had six with Dawn of the Dead from 1973. Okay. Um, but also, I have two more honorable mentions, okay. not really, I don't know. Psychomania from 1973. Yep. <laughs> which I, like, you were talking about the, which movie was it that you think should be remade? Um, oh, um, I lost eyes without a face. Yeah. Um, no, I said something
0: else. Oh, whatever happened to Baby Jane? Oh, right. I think this should be remade. Yeah. I think this yeah.
1: would be a blast of yeah. like this British motorcycle gang who instead of like they, they kill themselves and they come back, but they like come back really as a living dead and they start, you know, rotting and it's just like really fun and like, you yeah. this is, it's more campy and silly, um, but the premise is so good. I, I, I think somebody could have a really good time remaking this yeah. film. Um, and then Sisters from Sisters. 1972 by Brian De Palma. Okay, have you ever seen this movie? No, no. Man, this was great. Really? This, um, I don't know if you would totally put it in the. It's more like a, um, th- like thriller mystery, but where it goes to the end gets really surreal and okay. horror. Um, but it's got um. Oh, who is it? Oh, where? Where uh, did? Go ahead. Where? Um, where was it streaming? I keep cutting you off every time you remember. Sorry. Uh, I think I watched it on the the Criterion Show. Okay. Um, Margot Kidder, is that mm-hmm. – yeah. Yeah. She's in it and she plays um, – she was conjoined twins as a girl. Okay. And she um, – later in life, there's a murder and it's kind of rear window-ish where there's a neighbor across – the street who sees this murder that's um, Margot Kidder's character is involved with, mm-hmm. and so she's trying to piece it together, and she gets okay. involved with her. So this this tapped into your malignant. Uh, it has. It kind okay. of does. It kind okay. of. Uh, it doesn't go, you know, that weird. Well, yeah. But this is great. This is super Hitchcock inspired, and it actually okay. has the same um, composer who did a lot of Hitchcock's mm-hmm. work. So it has this really eerie. Um, like kind of 1950s score to it with a lot of like theremin and stuff and it's it's kind of like not disjointed but it's it's really interesting texture to the whole thing that was Um, another thing i noticed with 70s horror you can really
0: feel it starting to head in the direction where a john carpenter in the 80s takes it and starts really doing that that uh, intricate synth Horror score work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you can you can feel that evolution. That was that was another thing. I'm I'm such a nut for scores. Me too. And it was interesting going through decade by decade, and and just hearing not or you know not just watching the visuals Mm -hmm. shift, but but watching the sound and the music and everything sort of develop. Uh, collectively as a whole, it was, it was really interesting to kind of track all that.
1: Yeah. So if you haven't seen Sisters, man, it was- I'll have to check it out. I think you would dig it.
0: Yeah. Uh, my top five, I had Shivers, which (laughs) is, uh, Cronenberg and Parasites. Oh, right, right. And it's just early body horror and it's not, it's by far not his best. Yeah. Uh, I think the Brood is probably even better um objectively. Yeah. But Shivers has creeped me out since I was a little kid. I watched <laughs> it way too early uh when I was young. And it just ever since I have been I have just recurring nightmares about parasites. Yeah. Uh also for the same reason Trilogy of Terror which is this little anthology series? Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. You have probably seen a a picture from the third part. It uses the same actors in in each of the the parts, but the third one is about this woman that lives in an apartment, mm-hmm. and her dad is this this archaeologist or something, and he sends her this little wooden voodoo doll, mm-hmm. and it comes alive, and it has this little knife, and it chases her around, and it cuts her ankles, and just. Oh, Nightmare Fuel, and it's genuinely a good flick, Uh but uh, another one I watched way too early and has haunted me ever since, (laughs) and just I I have to mention that one. Then, of course, The Exorcist, Mm -hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which you would think the scares would come from a giant brute with a chainsaw, Mm -hmm. but the back half of that movie is so much different, I think, than anybody expects going in. Yeah, Uh, It's it's not a traditional slasher or even a proto-slasher. It's much more about this— crazy family Mm -hmm. and just the performances in it are too real for obvious reasons but uh that one just gets me every time and then i had a really hard time picking between jaws and alien Mm. but i consider both horror movies i know they're not typically horror genre uh you know one sci-fi and one's i guess just a thriller but uh jaws and alien both are are fairly uh iconic mm-hmm. and and just really good movies with great characters. Uh, I had a whole list of honorable mentions, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah, that
1: was great. Uh, Phantasm, which is, have you seen Phantasm? I have. And I was considering we should talk about it because- it's So weird. It's weird. And mm-hmm. I, I can never really get into it. And I would love to know what I'm missing.
0: Yeah, I can't completely get into it, but it keeps
1: drawing me back. And yeah, I've, done, I've watched it like four or five yeah. times and it yeah. was like- Man, I feel like I should like this more than I yeah. do. But... Have you seen The Visitor? I don't think so.
0: You should watch The Visitor. Yeah. It's horror, but it's it's got some alien stuff in it. It's here, let me let me phrase it this way. It is the best horror movie that combines alien invasion and Satan. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a super trippy, weird 70s movie, clearly made by people that did too many drugs in the 60s. The Brood, Eraserhead, Dawn of the Dead, Suspira. Have you ever seen uh, Herzog's Nosferatu with Klaus Kinski? Yeah. Super creepy. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like he was just made for that role. Really? And Klaus Kinski... yeah. He's he's a nutball. Yeah. He's he's a weird guy. Did you ever see the documentary about Herzog's uh their
1: friendship? Yes. Kind of. Yeah.
0: yeah. Sort of friendship. Yeah. Also sort sort of attempted murder. Yeah. Yeah. E friendship. Yeah. I don't know. Uh and then Carrie and Halloween. Yeah. Uh, have to mention those two. I've never been a giant fan of Halloween. I I think I came to it too late in the game. I had just seen it for the uh, first time last year. Yeah. It's it's very now, in retrospect, it's very basic. Yeah. And I, I just—I it, I get it. I get why people love it and why they keep going back to it, but— Uh, You know, my my first entry into the slasher world really was was Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. And so going back to Halloween always felt very regressive to me.
1: I I enjoyed it when I like I thought it was fun, like seeing that kind of the history of slasher from that point of view. And I really loved John Carpenter's score in that. It's really fun. Um, I I totally agree with what you're saying, but I I do. I enjoyed it. Well, what we decided to review for the 70s
0: was Black Christmas, and this is one I had not watched, uh, at least not watched in a long, long time Mm -hmm. because I thought I had watched it, but then as I'm watching, I'm realizing I either haven't or it's just been so long I don't remember any of it, Mm -hmm. or I watched it so early with a whole bunch of other things it got lost in the mix. But Black Christmas, uh, you would think, would be fairly stereotypical. But it's it's just it follows a group of sorority sisters who receive threatening phone calls and are eventually stalked and murdered by a deranged killer during you know the Christmas season because mm-hmm. Black Christmas. Clint,
1: what would you think of Black Christmas? Well, I was totally in the same boat as you. I had sworn I had seen this movie. I had gotten like this giant box head of all these um, – you know, B-level horror movies from like Walmart, you know, had like a hundred horror movies in it. And I swore that that one was in there and I'd watched it and I was like, eh, it was okay. And then putting it on, I was like, oh, this is not that movie at all that I'm thinking of. And I, I think this movie was great. I I, I was so blown away by how complex the characters were and how just around the edges, the, the, the horror part of it was where it was made it so much more impactful when it did come up. And like it, because you were like in the lives of these girls. And it's and you hear oh it's sorority girls in like they're living together and it you, gives you a very specific picture. Yeah, you think it's going to be all like sexy and stuff and a lot of nudity. It's not that at all. It's these very real girls, just college th- kids, college kids yeah. living their lives. who are um, just you know going. It's Christmas break and they're this this uh, psycho is in their house and making obscene calls to them. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was great. I I think it's. A lot better than Halloween.
0: That's what I was going to say. I'm really surprised this is not the – because when you go back and you watch horror documentaries or things like that, everybody talks Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. This comes earlier. Yeah. Significantly like four earlier. Four years earlier. Four years earlier and feels far more influential. And I can see the seeds of of way more of the, the 80s slashers and where horror goes in Black Christmas than i can in halloween halloween almost feels kind of simple and low budget compared to black christmas
1: i don't know if it's because halloween is so much easier to put your finger on where like there's a very clear this guy is the killer and he has a crazy mask so it gives that kind of commercial aspect to it and the first halloween definitely has that
0: iconography it has the white mask it has the butcher knife or the you know the the oversized kitchen knife and then it has that great score yeah theme that yeah. everybody knows now and yeah. just really sinks in your head and black christmas doesn't have any of those things i think it trades those sorts of things for a little more complexity and and mystery uh but no i i just um I was I was genuinely surprised. Similar to Peeping Tom, mm-hmm. I feel like this was, you know, we didn't do this intentionally, but I feel like this was the second movie where this feels more like this defines where horror goes in the next decade than the movie that gets kind of acclaimed. You know, mm-hmm. you get Psycho and then Halloween – And I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder if it's not more Peeping Tom and then Black Christmas and and movies like that. Right, right. Which makes sense because your, your actual horror filmmakers are watching these you know, just in mass and they're watching these more lesser known mm-hmm. gyms and they're grabbing hold of them just as much as they're grabbing hold of a psycho and a Halloween. Yeah, And, and so I, I think that goes on to really inspire their, their work in the coming decades.
1: Yeah. I'm also really fascinated by Bob Clark's just career. <laughs> yeah. Like the movies he's made, he made a Christmas story, which that kind of is interesting in, in comparison to this. Like that's more of the straight comedy. And this does have a lot of comedy in it like no not necessarily comedy but like there's dark humor yeah and there's a realness to the characters so there's there's multi-dimensional like they're funny at moments and um but he also made porkies one and two and baby geniuses yeah Yeah. i don't know it's just a this guy is each decade
0: he's all over the place but he's uh, every movie when you're reading down his list you're like oh that guy that guy did this? That guy yeah. did this? Oh <laughs> my goodness. He goes through and he just hits all of these kind of hot spots in in different genres. Yeah. And uh, cuz I, get... I I I don't think I've ever watched Baby Geniuses, but mm-hmm. I distinctly remember that poster being all over video
1: stores and in theaters and I wonder if... it was a big deal then. Yeah, like when I'm that not came out. super familiar with him outside like I'd seen Christmas story yeah. a million times, but I wonder if he's like one of those directors where he's a very much like a working man director where like more he, like director for hire. Right, right. And yeah. he just he's capable and easy to work with. So they he and It's, it's very possible, yeah.
0: considering how much he hops from from different tones and different things like that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he's just that guy that can come in and take a script and just work some yeah, magic with it and it make from, it a crowd pleaser.
1: Yeah, get it from A to B and finish yeah. it. Um Well, I was also super surprised with like some of the things they're talking about this in the movie, like the the one character who's like debating with her boyfriend about like having an abortion, yeah. that seems so. I don't know. Not, I don't. Know, I I can't say the whole history of film, but it seems early for that subject matter to be like center of a movie. And yeah. I was reading some things with the director, and I, I don't know if it was the writer who was saying like they weren't really trying to make a political statement. It was more like they needed something for them to talk about. Yeah. But regardless, I mean, you you have that in there and it, it makes the characters very real. And uh, I don't know, just they're going through something real.
0: And I think that one of the commonalities, again, peeping Tom Black Christmas, yeah. is that they're dealing with things that audiences aren't ready to deal with right. on the screen. Mm-hmm. Even this is giving you characters that are dealing with things that are, especially for the 70s, probably uncomfortable yeah. whereas Laurie Strode in Halloween is just the the all-American girl next door mm-hmm. and has normal teen problems and there's not a lot to think about there it makes for a less nuanced movie but it makes for a a more easily uh you know absorbed popcorn munching kind of entertainment experience right, right. and so i'm wondering if some of these lesser known films are because they were just they were pushing too early, mm-hmm. and so they just didn't get the groundswell of support behind them uh, that other movies did. And, and maybe it's not that they were forgotten or left behind because they're forgettable, but because people weren't ready to embrace them yet.
1: Right, and then they just kind of get lost in the shuffle yep. after a certain point.
0: Especially at this point, the 70s, you start to have a lot of horror yeah, coming yeah. out, especially from 75 to, to 79, and so, you know, this this movie that came out in 74 about college kids at Christmas, you can see where there's there's just not that – there's not the iconic villain look. There's not the the score. There's not the theme that can, you know, drill into your brain. And you can just see where it would be forgotten very quickly. Well,
1: especially compared to some of the sorority house ones that come later yeah. where it is very graphic and, you know, just – Exploita- exploitative. Yeah. And uh, so you could maybe forget it for that reason too. Yeah. But I also, I I really got caught up in the mystery of who was doing it. I, I thought it was like really fun that they weren't just showing you and they kind of leave it open ended yeah. at the end. Um, it, I don't know. It just, it gave another dimension to it of like, oh, is somebody in the house actually involved or is yeah. I, I don't know. It was fun.
0: This has a remake I think they did in 2006. Yeah. And I bet you that's the movie I'm actually remembering. Oh, okay. Um, because just going back and scoping out reviews of it, because I thought, should I watch the remake? No. Remake mm-hmm. is just panned across the board. It's supposed to be terrible. And just reading about it, I I'm I'm thinking that some of those vague memories I have of Black Christmas was that somehow I had watched – something from the remake because the remake sounds far more generic now i'm not sure i haven't watched it
1: but well there was a remake like last year oh really too that um it's got a bunch of people in it but like i think it's like the sorority girls fight back and they're going around the neighborhood and like you know kicking ass but i i don't know i was like that's an interesting take on it Mm -hmm.
0: well that brings us to the 1980s in uh, the 1980s, is where horror just explodes. There's a great documentary series, uh, and of course, now I'm going to forget the name of it. Uh, they're up to like three parts, it's on Amazon and Hulu, but it just goes through all the, of these. Is it the
1: movies that made us? No,
0: no, no, that's on Netflix. That one's really oh, okay. good too. They have a horror batch out now, yeah. but this is something something of darkness.
1: Oh, you said Amazon. Is on uh, Amazon.
0: Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, uh, okay. it, it goes through – they they're up into three parts and it just goes through all these 80s horror movies and mm-hmm. just kind of real quick spotlights different ones, typically ones you haven't seen. Yeah. And the 80s is just this explosion of horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as if suddenly audiences watched things like Halloween and said, yeah, now I, I want more of that. Uh, and studios at the same time are seeing these things be box office success. And anytime that happens, the market gets flooded with, you know, a lot of copycats. But but in between there, there's a lot of opportunity for, for these filmmakers to come through and really do some interesting things. Well, I'm so, sure there
1: could like probably in a, a general sense be made really cheaply yeah. and get a good return. So I'm yeah. sure the studios were – you don't need name actors, yeah. you right? Know, you
0: can keep your budget low because people aren't going for the actor; they're going for the gore, kills, and the kills yeah, and, the monster, and, and, yeah. and really eighties. The eighties horror scene really comes to define what's your monster and what are your kills, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: and those two things would would propel word of mouth and make a horror movie make or break.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Clint, what were your top five of the eighties? The Thing. Ooh, yes. Um, from nineteen eighty two, The Fly. From nineteen eighty-six, Evil Dead 2 from 1987, Videodrome from 1983, uh, Dead Zone, um, and Scanners. A lot of Cronenberg. I love Cronenberg. So you didn't put The Shining in your top? I didn't just because it was too obvious. I mean, I definitely, like, that's a given. That's, like, one of my – it's in my top five movies of all time, but I just
0: didn't. I also didn't put The Shining in my top, and I found it interesting because I wanted it in there, but each time I compared it to something else – I, I think the thing I love about The Shining is not its horror elements. Yeah. And so it it hasn't lasted in my mind as a horror piece. It's much more of a, a psychological thriller. And okay. I, I know it genuinely is a horror uh-huh. film, but it it just it was easy for me to pull off that list because I consider it in this other it's 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 oh, at this yeah. other level of of just this is one of the best films of the eighties.
1: I agree. Not it's, just a genre it's film. It's one of my favorite movies ever made. So it's just like uh there yeah. Um, and then I have two honorable uh, mentions, um, which I just watched was Life Force from 1985.
0: Yes. That is a weird movie. Super weird movie. When I was talking about the visitor in uh-huh. the 70s, Life Force is that, is kind of the spiritual successor of when you were the describing
1: visitor. it. I was like, Oh, I'm gonna talk about <laughs> yep. the life force in a minute, and that goes along with it. Yeah. But man, that's a weird movie. Yeah, it really uh, is. made by Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I don't know. I'm just going to keep saying it. it's a weird movie and you should weird. watch it. I don't honestly know if I really liked it. But don't go in even asking what it's about. That's no. just one of
0: those movies. Go just watch it. It's, it's loopy town. The it's so weird. are
1: so weird. Yeah. Like their effects, like it almost made me feel like this is a movie from the 80s, but they look like they're from the 1950s or yep. something. Um, and then uh, Brain Damage from 1988. Yep. Um, by uh, Frank Henenlotter, who also did Basket Case. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a super weird movie too. And if you haven't seen it, I, I don't want to go into it too much. There, it, There's a weird growth on the side of a man's neck and he's making him do things. And, yeah.
0: uh, and it's going to go in all the directions that you don't want it to go. And yep. that's what makes it great and bizarre. Yep.
1: So check that one out. <laughs> okay. Uh,
0: my list starts off a lot like yours. Evil Dead 2. The Fly and the Thing. Can
1: I ask you a question real Absolutely. quick? Do You prefer uh, Evil Dead 2 to the first one? Depends what
0: my mood is. Okay. If I want more of a straight horror, mm-hmm. I prefer Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. If I want uh, more fun horror, yeah. it's Evil Dead 2. It just, it depends. Evil Dead 1 is such a, a quintessential yeah. scare fest. Yeah. It's just genuinely unnerving. And you can feel that it has a more grounded, sense mm-hmm. of things. Whereas Evil Dead 2 is, is much more of a, let's, let's take our hero and make our hero iconic yeah. instead of the monster. And Evil Dead 2, I think, you know, when you get to the 90s, horror really starts to go more in the direction of who's the leading character in your horror movie, who's going to survive yeah. this. And it starts to build the mythos around the horror hero instead of the horror villain. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it's it's an interesting pair because it's essentially a remake, but it's not. I know but it is.
1: Like I really enjoy the first one, mm-hmm. but then I always get to the end of it, and there's a lot of scenes that I'm I feel like I'm missing, yep. so that I have to watch the second yeah. one because like oh man, I really, I oh that's right, that's in the second one, and yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're both good.
0: And we talked about the Dead Zone a couple of weeks ago. The Dead Zone is it's a surprising flick and one of the best Stephen King adaptations. Uh, just as far as faithfulness goes, but it's just, it's a really good movie and it's one that's not told in a traditional three acts. It's its something that, that feels much more like a novel mm-hmm. put to screen and uh, it's, it's great. Christopher Walken's great and it. it's got a great cast. Yeah. Uh, my fourth one was Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Always have a very special place in my heart. I don't know that it's a better film than some of the things that got shoved off my list, but it's, it's so iconic in in as far as when you say 80s horror honestly nightmare on elm street is the first thing that bolts it's it's the the most pure horror of, of the movies i listed the other ones have sci-fi or mm-hmm. thriller or all this nightmare on elm street just always super creeped me out there's something about being stuck in your dreams yeah. that is a universal fear it's an awful feeling mm-hmm. when you realize you're you're having a nightmare and you
1: can't get out of it yeah i love that one that was definitely on my list to like the last minute yeah. and uh it would Another day it would be on there, yeah.
0: And then my last one was The Thing, uh, uh-huh. which is just, um, it's just, it's an exceptional movie that it has everything.
1: That one's almost in the same plane as Shining for yeah. me, where like I could also almost consider it not. A horror movie just because it's so fantastic in every other way?
0: It would probably end up in my top movies of the 80s, period. Yeah, Yeah. The same as The Shining. Uh, Same thing in the 70s with The Exorcist, really. Yeah. The Exorcist is... It is a horror movie, but it's existing at it, such higher levels where it's doing so many other things. Because really, The Exorcist is about you know these two priests from two different generations mm-hmm. and what they're going through and how this little girl is essentially being used against them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a much more layered flick than just a oh kid gets possessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, uh, my my kind of honorable mentions, Return of the Living Dead, which is bonkers. Yeah. Uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh-huh. They Live, which we just watched right. uh, last year, I think. American Werewolf in London came out in the 80s. and uh-huh. has a great transformation sequence. Have you ever seen a movie called Possession?
1: It was on my list to watch and I didn't get
0: to. Possession almost cracked my top five. Yeah. Possession is, it's it's, it's a Rosemary's Baby uh-huh story uh but it it focuses much more on kind of the the supernatural rape end of things uh-huh. uh and what's happening there but other things happen too but it's, it's very unsettling uh definitely one to watch
1: i'll check that one out. Uh, sure.
0: then near dark and hellraiser 2 which i always have a soft spot for hellraiser 2
1: uh-huh
0: um, it uh, it it gets really ambitious, probably too ambitious for what it's able to do at the time. Mm. But I appreciate that, you know, the last third of that movie, they just decide, you know what, let's see what the world of the Cenobites look like <laughs> instead of just keeping everything on Earth. Uh-huh. And they go they go into some really surreal directions. And it's it's not the kind of hellscape you would imagine. It's very geometric and it's very hmm. bleak, and it's not fire and brimstone or or you know just a lot of graphic imagery. It's a very strange, otherworldly kind of feel.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that one. It's so. I,
0: I I wonder if you would like it better than uh, our next movie that we're going to review, which is Hellraiser. Man,
1: you're a professional. What a segue. <laughs> uh,
0: Hellraiser was written and directed by Clive Barker, and it's based on Barker's 1986 novella, The Hellbound Heart, which is uh, fairly different from the movie that we get. But it involves this mystical puzzle box, which summons the Cenobites, which are a group of extradimensional sadomasochistic beings who cannot differentiate between, pla- pain, plain, between pain and pleasure. Uh, and the leader of the Cenobites is played by Doug Bradley, Pinhead which is kind of one of those iconic 80s horror monsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a whole family drama at the heart of this where, mm. uh, you know, just uh, this poor girl, this poor final girl uh, is getting caught up in in her family's drama and then caught in between uh, members of her family and these Cenobites. Clint, you've tried Hellraiser before. Mm-hmm. Not your favorite. no.
1: How was it this time? The same. (laughs) Ah, Okay. I have tried with this movie so many times, and I cannot get into the family drama of this movie. It feels like a soap opera at the center of it. And I, I, I love... The practical effects. I love the Cenobite stuff. That I, I like. The, you know, just the the creatures and you know the really fake gore and you know all that stuff. I, I'm a big fan of all that stuff. But at the heart of this movie, <laughs> I do not care about the soap opera of this woman sleeping with her brother's brother. Or you no know, with her, her brother's brother <laughs> sleeping with that's a whole different her movie. Her husband's point. brother.
0: Game of Thrones Hellraiser. <laughs>
1: I'll check that out. The Lannisters find a puzzle box. <laughs> <laughs> they should do one-off stories, and that's uh, her husband's brother. So, Ken, I want you to try to win me over on this. I Now that
0: I'm hearing what you don't like about it, I can't win you over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because here is my review of Hellraiser. Yeah. The family drama is nonsense, and it's not what you're here for.
1: I know, but there's it's, so much of it.
0: You, The only defense I can offer is that you have to hate these people to be able to enjoy the back half of that movie once the Cenobites show up. Because if you love everybody, it's it's hard to just root for the girl. And it's hard to get in that, that weird headspace where you're enjoying watching these people essentially encounter pain incarnate. And so, it's it's. I mean, the, the the horror elements are the body horror, and it's it's the idea that something as innocuous as a puzzle box could be a an entryway into this whole other bizarre hell dimension. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of stuff that fascinated me. Now, it's fascinated me for a long time because this movie I watched at a very specific age, uh-huh. where I think I had just turned sixteen. And you and I grew up in a conservative church and yeah, and households, and this was very, oh, I'm sure on the edge. Yeah, this this was this was. I knew the whole time I was watching this that dear Carol Brown would not (laughs) approve of this movie. Yeah, and that uh, my church would you know pass out collectively Mm -hmm. if they knew that the 16 year old was watching it. And so there there was a lot of that, and I think that's continued to to sort of um hold this up in my mind. Yeah. The other thing is I watched Hellraiser 2 fairly soon after okay. seeing Hellraiser 1 for the first time. And Hellraiser 2, uh, a lot of people would would hate that I'm about to say this, but I think it's a way better movie.
1: Really. It
0: it concerns the the wife uh Julia mm-hmm. uh being resurrected by this uh, this uh psychiatrist or this doctor mm-hmm. in uh this this mental asylum. And he's resurrecting her for his own kind of pursuits because he wants to become essentially or or he doesn't want to become a Cenobite. He ends up becoming a Cenobite. But yeah. uh, he wants to tap into this power and things. And it's it's a much more, I think, interesting movie. And it brings back the daughter from the first movie and gives you a a second kind of protagonist character that's. That's really solid. I mean, it's you know, it's still '80s acting. Yeah. But I I think the drama and the characters of the second one are much much better. Okay. And it gets more ambitious. Uh-huh. Whether it succeeds on that ambition, that's where, you know, I I I don't know if it succeeds as well in its back half as the first movie does with what it sets out to do. Um, but it, as much as you just cannot get Hellraiser one, I I would still recommend. Too, just to see how you respond to that
1: yeah i'm curious to check it out and i was planning on it but man i just yeah i really have tried this movie mm. a lot and like i said there's a lot i i love the practical the body coming back under the floorboards and yep. all that and like reforming that's super fun and mm. but Yeah, at the heart of it, it feels like a soap opera from the '80s that I I can totally see. Yeah, now this is being remade. Uh,
0: There's a movie version that's going to be, I believe, on Hulu, and then there's, or maybe that's the, that's why it is. There's a TV series version that's going to be made on Hulu, and there is a film version that is being made on uh, I think it's going to be on Netflix okay the film version is a direct adaptation of the book and in the book is like I said pretty different people Uh prefer the book far more to the movie and the book is interesting the Cenobites function differently there's not as much a pinhead character as a leader Uh Uh, pinhead in the books is is a female uh, or is at least genderless but has a female voice and so they've cast a female already as as pinhead in, in this movie. And so it'll be interesting to see two very different takes. I think the TV series is more adapting the idea and just playing with that world, whereas the film is adapting the books. So
1: speaking of the Cenobites for a mm-hmm. second, so there's in the, the, the first one, there's, you know, the four Cenobites, right. there's the pinhead, and then mm-hmm. there's the guy who's got his the like, chatter, the chatter yeah. and then there's the woman who got right. her throat splayed and the right. weird thing. I feel bad for that fourth one who's just like like one of those blobfish on the bottom of the ocean. And he's just like – he's just big. Yeah. and He's got weird sunglasses. Yeah, he's got weird sunglasses and he's just big. And
0: Clive Barker has stories as to each of their origins. I forget how he died and what his origin was. Uh The second movie goes into how Cenobites are created and where they come from. And it has Pinhead and then it has some different ones. It doesn't have the same – uh, four is is the, the first movie. But yeah. um, that's another thing. I uh, Some people, when they complain about Hellraiser 2, they complain that there was a, an explanation as to where these things come from.
1: Oh, they I, like the mystery think, of it? Yeah,
0: it took the mystery away from it. People didn't like that. It didn't bother me because it's a sequel, but I can also see that argument. Yeah. So that brings us to the 1990s. And the 90s really um, – I think this is where horror starts to grow up. The '80s was just let's have fun. It's kind of the the adolescence of the horror genre. In the '90s, it was there was this move towards from high school aged people uh, being the victims to much more of a college young adult aged uh, you know group being the victims, and it it started to play more with the genre. It started to get much more uh, kind of A list actors involved. And uh, it just – it's sort of – it had the, – the, the kids who snuck into the theater in the 80s were now adults with kids uh-huh. and were still horror fans. And so horror just aged right along with them. Uh, but Clint, what was your top five for the 90s?
1: Um, Candyman from 92. Okay. Jacob's Ladder from 1990. Ooh, that's um, a good one. Kronos from 93 by Guillermo. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. From '91, and um, I, I'm I have two more, and I, I think uh, the fifth spot would probably be Lost Highway by David Lynch. Okay.
0: Um, I've always had a hard time with that movie. It's good, I recognize it's good, but it's just never soared for me.
1: Yeah, there are some moments in it, or like that, have stuck in my head mind as. And like, they just give me instant, like feelings of horror, like, and it's just like super simple things of how he used light in it. And it's just like, I think that's fascinating that Mm -hmm. you could make an image stick in someone's head just by the moving of light. I don't know. Um, It's hard to explain. But my honorable mention for this is um, Society from 1992. Oh,
0: that I can't watch it. I can't you finish it. You can't watch it. it. I have tried multiple times, and I know people love it. It it physically makes me ill.
1: Yeah, yeah. It
0: far more than Dead Alive, which gets very queasy <laughs> and and really induces some nausea.
1: Uh-huh. Uh huh.
0: Society is just. I can see that. It's
1: oh. it, it's a fun like body horror flick, oh. and once it gets into that portion of it. It's oh. totally worth sticking around. Uh, it, there
0: is something that has always really made me sick to my stomach about absorption. Oh, uh, yeah. Because even the Blob remake, I think in 86, has uh-huh. a lot of that. And I have a really hard time with that. Just the idea of people being digested. Yeah. Really... And this isn't digestion, but it just... It's kind of being absorbed into a hole. and... Yeah. 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 The thing is otherworldly enough, that doesn't quite bother me, but society it's just that really disgusting sometimes campy just visuals of, of people getting sucked into people and uh-huh. the the weird guy whose face is in in his butt and i just <laughs> oh i can't claim but i appreciate that you mentioned it well i'm glad <laughs> uh my top five uh cube mm-hmm. uh, which is uh not so great on the acting side of things but i just love the concept love uh-huh. the visuals love the they, they did so much with so little. Uh, Candyman, Audition, which is – is it yeah. Japanese or Korean?
1: I think it's T- T- Takashi Miike. I believe he's oh, Jap- okay. Japan. Yes, you're yeah. right.
0: You're right. Uh, audition still oh, to yeah. this day. Just from, from the time that bag moves when the, the phone rings in her apartment to that end sequence. That just – oof. Um, Silence of the Lambs, and then New Nightmare, which is actually the seventh Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, really? But that's the one that goes very meta. Have you ever watched it?
1: I, I've seen them all. I, I can't, okay. yeah.
0: It's, remember. rewatch that one. Okay. That's the one where it's, instead of playing Nancy, the actress who plays Nancy plays herself. And it's just about her and her family coming back to make, she's making a, a new Nightmare on Elm Street. She's returning to it. But Freddie comes through, uh, into the real world, and it's not the Freddy from the movies. It's the demon that essentially the writers have been tapping into when they're creating the character of Freddy Krueger. Uh-huh. That entity is a very real demonic entity, and it's very meta. It's it's huh. it's much more uh, in the vein of a scream where okay. it's it's fully aware of what it's commenting on, mm-hmm. and a lot of its horror is on a film set and. um it's it's not an amazing movie. It's got some flaws, but I just it's it's one of my favorite horror movies. Huh. Uh, and again, I already have affection for the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, um, but I I really enjoy this one, and it it reinvents in interesting ways. That's cool. Uh, to the point, it could have basically relaunched the the Nightmare on Elm Street series. It never went anywhere, but they really could have yeah uh, kind of taken it. And it's it's not the comical Freddy Krueger that a lot of the sequels start to really dive into which i think ruined uh in a lot of ways that character maybe it made it more iconic but
1: i mean it's there from the beginning kind of but you think it just goes too far with it yeah in, in the first movie it's more he's being funny
0: but he's doing it to toy with them and it's that that weird cross-section of humor and horror that makes it more unsettling that yeah not only is he hunting them but he's cracking jokes uh-huh Whereas after that, it almost gets a little Looney Tunes. Definitely by five and six, it gets very Looney Tunes. I can see what you mean. Seven really brings it back to where it's it's a little more straight-laced horror. Mm. Uh, And then a couple of uh, honorable mentions. Misery, Sixth Sense, Kronos, Scream, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I know you have (laughs) expressed that Keanu Reeves ruins for you. And then Jacob's Ladder. Uh, for the 90s we decided to go back and review a movie that we definitely have both watched. Mm-hmm. We actually watched it at the same time in the same room. I believe Was this one? This was one. Yeah, yeah this was I I want to say this was the week after the movie that made Josh throw up. There was like a chain reaction of vomit yes. in that situation. Yes. Uh, so we used to go to my friend's grandmother's on every we you know, were really Thursday. cool. We were yeah, <laughs> but every Thursday, all these teenagers would pack into her house, and she would make us all kinds of cool stuff. And she was a great lady; would give us hugs. Uh, but <laughs> what? I didn't want to get all sappy and start crying know. here. Uh, she was awesome. She was great lady she... and gave us hugs. What's <laughs> yeah. wrong, Clint? No. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, uh, we would pile into her basement, uh, especially at this this one point in time. We would play the original PlayStation or there for quite a few months, John, once he started driving, would stop at the video store and just rent some random disgusting horror movies. And in this old woman's basement, while she's upstairs making funnel cakes and all the sweetness in the world, we would be watching the most revolting horror movies <laughs> in the basement. One week, John brought this Italian horror movie. I don't even remember what happened. There was an eye stabbing or an and eating of
1: intestines. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, I think both were involved. In the, Something. Yeah. Everybody's
0: sitting there watching it, and suddenly Josh just <laughs> right in the center of the room, and everybody scrambles out of the basement. Uh, but the very next week is when we watched Dead Alive, a little VHS copy of Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. Uh, Dead Alive is, is a wild zombie movie about a monkey that carries a zombie plague and infects Which is this, found on Skull Island. Which is found on Skull <laughs> Island. Nice little King Kong tie-in. But uh, uh, this, this little zombie monkey ends up infecting this town and chaos ensues. Clint, what did you think of your revisit to Dead Alive?
1: This is one of my favorite horror movies. Wow. This is one that I come back to uh, like at okay. least once a Halloween. Like, I love just how like far this movie goes, in that it just constantly is building. In the same way we were talking about Mal- uh, *Malignant* you know, mm-hmm. last week, where it's constantly building and it just gets more insane and, and like crazier as it goes along, and. It's upping itself, and you think it's it's got it's like to the peak of disgusting in blood, and then it just goes farther, and um, it's super campy, and the fact that it's in New Zealand and it's got that nice, uh, nice New Zealand accent to everyone. Um, It just makes it so much fun, and it doesn't take itself seriously at all. It's a cartoon. Yep. And that's what I think helps me with when it's really disgusting, that it's when, like, pus is being eaten. In the soup. In the the pudding. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, And uh, it goes so... Like, I watched this with Jenny. She had never seen it, and she's pretty squeamish. Yeah. But she, like, she made it all the way through, Uh and she would, like be revolted and be like, oh, I looked up at the wrong moment and stuff like that. But she, at the end, enjoyed it. And oh. I think for the same reason that what I'm saying is like, it's a cartoon and it gets so crazy. You just can't look away. Yeah. So I know your feelings just from your face. So I, I do
0: love this movie. Okay. I really do. It, yeah. it holds a special place. I had to stop this movie three times. <laughs> it... It, it in in all the places that I remembered. I, I was shocked how much I remembered of this movie. Yeah. It had really burned itself in my brain. Me I too. think I had watched it two or three times. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a while. And and it just there were times that this movie turns my stomach. That dinner oh, scene yeah, turns yeah. my stomach. Uh the the lawnmower, uh, which is great. <laughs> oh,
1: it's so but good. But just
0: something about it turns my stomach, probably just how covered in blood and pulp. It's the pulp of it's this movie. It's so pulpy. There is so much pus and pulp and chunks. Yeah. It's it's not just a, a blood kind of movie. I mean, Peter Jackson, you can in a weird way you can really see the early seeds of The Lord of the Rings effects. Uh-huh. Because there there is a a I don't even know what the word is. There's there's just it it feels like something has been uh, Ripped to shreds, or cut apart, or it—it it just, all the stuff feels too real, and I totally agree with you. Uh, it's great and it's comical and that does help. But man, this movie turns my stomach. <laughs> I, uh, love uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. It is bonkers, and I love that it it starts loud and it keeps climbing. Uh, Stravinsky, who did that, you would probably recognize the the song, uh, the Rite of Spring. Uh-huh. Uh One of the things he always said is you start quiet because it if gives you, you room. It gives you room to yeah. build. This movie does not do that. This movie starts loud, and it doesn't care that it has to keep getting louder. Yeah. And I love that. This is, when we talk about, I wish it would have just leaned into what it wanted to be. Yeah. This is that movie. This Mm -hmm. is a movie that leans in and just says, you know what? We're just going to keep upping the ante, and we're going to make it
1: bigger and crazier and bloodier. And it's inventive in how it does it, too. It's not just more in... Uh, more gore in like on top of gore. It's yeah. like, it is that, but at the, there's like whoa, zombies getting pushed into light bulbs and their yeah. heads glowing like a lamp all of a sudden. Like yeah. the intestines of a zombie is now alive and it's its own thing and it's farting and it's like, <laughs> and it's just like, and it's crawling around. It's just, it's in that same thing that like um, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 do where it's just, you know, it's that they are cartoony in their own way and just con- constantly building and mm-hmm. like, uh, I hold it as high as those movies. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's so fun. Um, and I totally don't blame you if you think it's disgusting. I, I think it's disgusting, yeah. but it's so fun. <laughs> yeah,
0: no. And, and don't get me wrong. I, and that's, that's probably why you were reading my face. Cause I was trying to figure out how do I explain that I do love this movie But it is not one I'm going to rush to the shelf to watch. I'd love that you watch it every year. I couldn't do it. It just maybe, maybe if I, you know, had had surgery and couldn't eat for a couple of days or something, (laughs) I would pull this one out just to help uh, me keep my appetite away. But I don't
1: blame you at all,
0: but uh, I'm glad you still enjoy it. I, and, and, and there's a, there's a filmmaking to it. It's, it's, there's a real quality. It's not just gore for gore's sake. There's, there's a lot of fun here. And there's, there's a lot of just, you can tell they're having a blast.
1: Yeah. And it seems like they, it's, they have a, they had a take on a zombie film and they were like, I think we can make this and make it interesting. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. also just super interesting from like the history of Peter Jackson and seeing like where he started out with like this. And uh, what was it? Um what was the bad taste? Yeah. And To go from there to go to doing one of the most massive um, series of all time.
0: And I've read interviews and articles about it. I still don't understand it. I I get – you'll hear the Warner execs explaining or the New Line execs explaining why they went with Peter Jackson. Mm -hmm. But they're mentioning Dead Alive and Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles and Bound. And it just – All of these movies, I get that they're quality, and I respect whoever at New Line could look at these movies and say, you know what? Let's give this guy hundreds of millions of dollars and let him do a beloved trilogy of movies his way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, man, if you're talking about filmmakers that are a risk to throw that much money at, Peter Jackson, pre-Lord of the Rings, great filmmaker, but not somebody as a as an executive i would have
1: ever dreamed. Yeah.
0: Give that guy all the cash and let him make this thing that we hope is a really big property.
1: And it might be like part of it is they saw what he could do with so little. I think so. And so they're... little
0: and with with practical effects. Yeah. Um, you know because i think we take that for granted with Lord of the Rings because at the time it's it's largely a practical effects movie. I mean it has some amazing cg. Mhm. But most of it is compositing and forced perspectives and, and models yeah. and miniatures, all that stuff. Um, so very, very, very interesting. Uh, so that brings us to the 2000s. And the 2000s is where horror kind of returns to Hollywood. And, and this is a, a decade where I think for the first time serious filmmakers start stepping up and wanting to dabble in horror. Uh, and you can really see the progression from the '60s. In the '60s, you had some very s- serious filmmakers like Hitchcock, but he was not the the norm. Mm-hmm. Typically, horror was was sort of the schlocky B level, C level uh, filmmakers. By the time you get to the 2000s, and especially as you get to the 2010s, which we're not talking about, but especially by the time you get there, now you've got people. You know, this week, uh, last night in Soho is coming uh-huh. out. Edgar Wright just decided, I want to make a horror movie. And horror is no longer a genre that's looked down on. There still is plenty of schlock and junk out there, just like any other genre. But it's, it's definitely a genre that has gained a lot more maturity and, and kind of clout mm-hmm. than it once had. Uh, so for the 2000s, from 2000 to 2009, Clint, what was your top five?
1: Uh, My first, I I don't have these in order, but it was uh, House of the Devil from 2009 by Ty West. Have you seen this movie? It is one of the very
0: few on the list of horror movies we had I have not seen.
1: I think you would really enjoy it. It's definitely like a throwback to... I don't know, maybe 70s and 80s films. And there's a lot of times I get annoyed by something that's trying to replicate. Like this tries to replicate that feel and like film stock and Mm -hmm. everything. But I think this does it so well Mm -hmm. that... It's totally just like I buy into it cool. and it feels so genuine to that, those timeframes that it's trying to emulate.
0: I noticed it's on Hulu. It's it's on my list of things to watch. I just, it's mm-hmm. one of the few I haven't gotten to yet.
1: Yeah, I recommend it. Okay. Um, then Shaun of the Dead from 2004. I totally forgot
0: Shaun of the Dead.
1: It's, yeah.
0: That's definitely a horror movie. Yeah. A legit horror movie at the end, not just a horror comedy, no. but
1: man, how did I miss that one? Go on. Sorry. So good. Uh, Slither from 2006, which I just rewatched and made Jenny watch. And this was one of those where she was on the fence about like, this might be too much for me. But I think it it saved itself and it has mm-hmm. enough humor in things. Um, it's, that movie still is a blast. It holds up. Yeah. It's
0: James Gunn mm-hmm. and uh, a great cast. It's, it's I love it.
1: Yeah, it's great. Um, Anti-Crace from 2009 mm-hmm. by Lars von Trier. This is one of those movies I have not watched it again. I have it on my shelf. I bought it. I plan to one day, but every time I try to, I'm like, no, not tonight. Um, One day I will. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, that's saying like a lot for this movie. I I recognized it's really good. And there's actually a surprising amount of beautiful filmmaking and cinematography in Mm -hmm. it. And it's one of the most disgusting, horrifying movies ever made. Um, okay, uh, Devil's Backbone by mm, from Torres. Uh huh, that one's great. And then I had—they're not runners up, but they're movies I haven't seen them in a little while. I thoroughly enjoyed them when I had seen them, but I had recently just watched The Squid Game, mm-hmm. and man, I'm like, I'm so excited about like that South Korean like how it's it's blown up. Like I yeah. mean. It and it's getting the dues it it deserves because there's so many great filmmakers. Um, so the host from 2006, mm. it was a, a earlier uh, Bong Joon Ho too. film. Yeah, great, it's great. Uh, um, creature feature. creature feature. And then Tale of Two Sisters from 2004 by um, Kim Ji Woon. Man, that's such a great like that ghost movie story. messes
0: with me. It's on my honorable mentions, almost made my top five. It, oh, I know.
1: And ugh. I just I hadn't because I haven't watched in a while, and mm. I'm I'm going to probably this week just okay. because. Man, that, that movie messes with my head, too. It's That's kinda... one
0: I go back to yeah. different years. It, yeah. It's exceptionally well-made. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my top five are uh, The Ring, uh, the American remake, which still destroyed me in theaters. It continues to destroy me. And it's PG-13. And it it it's one of those movies I just get more impressed with that it can do so much with so little.
1: I... Had such an amazing theater experience with mm-hmm. that movie when we saw that. Like yeah. that was one of those experiences that made me fall in love with film. Yeah, um, it was one of those early films like where I'm finally getting to go by my like I went with you guys, mm-hmm. but like I'm getting my freedom to go out and yeah. do things. Like I just I have probably just got my license and whatever, and I have never been able to revisit it. Yeah, because I have such a strong memory, and like I wanted to put it on my top in my top five, but I'm like, I have, maybe if I revisit it, I hate it, but I don't want to. I, I,
0: and I totally get that. I'd be shocked if you, it ages really well, other Uh than a few little things, uh, like cell phones and stuff like that, but it's dealing with the VHS tape. So it's, it feels more almost period. Uh Uh, but it just, it's still, uh, I have a hard time watching it because that that first theatrical experience really messed with me, and it continues to mess with me. The visuals in this thing and just the the way they they filmed some of the stuff of her coming out of the TV and yeah. just how quickly she'll move after moving mm-hmm. really slowly. And this is very, very effective horror when it comes to tapping into kind of that primordial yeah. fear center and and just making you react to things that – you know, aren't real, but just feel too real. For, for. sure, yeah. Oof. Uh, my second one was the, the original French version of Martyrs. Have you seen it?
1: I feel like I have, but I can't uh,
0: recall. Martyrs, yeah. it has a, a really terrible remake. Mm. Uh, not terrible. It just, it doesn't hold up. And it's it's very uh, American. Mm. Uh, but but the French Martyrs is, is very gory, but very, very, very unsettling. Uh, then Frailty. With Matthew McConaughey and Bill Paxton. Oh right, And yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Uh-huh. Did I ever say that Matthew McConaughey? It's got two of them. Two. Yeah, but there's a third person in it too. Anyway, uh, sorry. The kid actors are great in it. It's a really dark story. It's a twisted story. Yeah. And uh, Powers Booth. Oh. Uh, and it and it has a, a great little twist at the end. But Frailty's One, I just I've always loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let the right one in. The oh, original yeah. version. Yeah. Uh, which the remake, just like you said, is is really well done, especially for a remake. I love it too, but but the original one is just uh, so wonderfully Danish. Mm, yeah, that yeah, uh, it it just it adds a little bit that pole scene alone. Oh, I know, with the kid underwater and mm-hmm. just the oh. Anyway, uh, and then finally, have you ever seen a movie called Pontypool? I don't Pontypool think so. was this 2008 horror movie from Canada, and it's about this radio shock jock who is doing kind of a, a late-night show. And as he's doing it, they start getting news reports. Oh, it's, okay. it's all in the studio. Uh-huh. And there's some sort of signal out there that's making people go almost zombie-like. And eventually this, this news or this, this radio station starts getting attacked. And again, it's all from inside the, the station. But it's just this, this it, it, tension just keeps ratcheting uh-huh. up and ratcheting up. And, and it really starts to feel uh, claustrophobic and trapped mm-hmm. and like there's a much larger worldwide thing happening than just an isolated horror event. Yeah. But definitely one to check out. I, I love that one. Uh, a couple of just honorable mentions or whatever you want to call it. Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. um, which, again, uh, really is – I don't know if it's so much horror. It has horror elements. Mm-hmm. but like a dark uh, fantasy. Dark fantasy. Yeah. Uh, the Mist – which really seals it with the ending for me. I don't know if, if everything before the ending lives up to that ending, but I have strong takes on that movie. You know. Yeah. Do you well just just small, do you do you like or not like where it goes at the end?
1: I don't like the end. Okay. Be, I in theory, I like the end, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's on the wrong movie. Okay. I feel like it's something they had this that's not true to the book, right? No. Like, no, they add so that on in the I, book, they just drive out in the mist. End of story. I feel like it's this thing that's too big, slapped onto the end of this movie, Mm -hmm. that's just okay.
0: Which makes sense in the book, because in the book, they do get out, but then they just drive, and the book ends on this very bleak note of they just keep driving and driving, and there's, there's no end to this mist. Yeah, and that's that's the hopelessness that it ends on.
1: And I also have horrible memory attached to that film because that was one of the early films I took Jenny, my wife, to, mm. and she cried for a day after watching <laughs> that movie. The end. Like I think she was yeah. fine up to that end, and like so, I I can never live that movie down. Yeah. And it's like it's a running joke to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh,
0: Carriers, which is an early Chris Pine film, I think John worked on it early when he went out to L.A. Uh-huh. It's it's a, a pandemic movie. Okay. Um, and I I already really liked it, and it's one I have on my shelf. But it's one that that especially turned into a great movie this last two years. Oh yeah. Uh, Midnight Meat Train, which is based on a Clive Barker story, mm-hmm. and uh, has um, Bradley Cooper uh, has kind of an in the mouth of madness. Feel to it, which, how did we get through the 90s and not mention In the Mouth of Madness? Maybe it's because we talked about it for a whole- Probably. Yeah. I, I missed that somehow in Event Horizon. There's a couple that that I probably would have mentioned. Um, have you ever seen a movie called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon? <laughs> no, I've never seen it, but I know what you're talking about. It sounds terrible, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I see your face. Here's what it's about. Okay. It's great. Uh-huh. You're going to have to trust me on this. Okay. It is about a serial killer- Who wants to be the next Jason or Mm -hmm. Freddie or what, Michael Myers? Uh, He lives in this world where these things are real. And so he is setting out to try to get the kind of attention and iconography that will make him famous.
1: Does it take it really seriously? No. Okay. It's
0: it's a mockumentary. Oh, okay. It's so clever uh-huh. and it's so well done and funny it's not every time i had always saw it i thought it was yeah. just a really cheap Me too. halloween knockoff it knows exactly what okay. it's doing and uh it's it's low budget but uh it's You need to watch it sometime. I
1: was always curious about it, but uh, yeah, like you were saying, I thought it was a knockoff of a slasher film. No,
0: Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Uh, And then Eden Lake, which is an early Fassbender, kind of survival horror out in the woods Mm. kind of film. Uh, Dog Soldiers, which to this day is is kind of my favorite werewolf movie. It's not objectively the best werewolf movie, but Mm -hmm. I love it. Tale of Two Sisters, The Descent, and Slither. So I clearly just had... I just could not narrow it down.
1: (laughs) You love the 2000s, I guess. I
0: love horror movies. Yeah. I just – I do too. You know. So uh, for the 2000s, we decided to visit what I think is one of the most kind of iconic horror movies of the 2000s that's not The Ring – that wouldn't make Clint revisit that. But uh, 28 Days Later, and 28 Days Later is, once again, monkeys. The dang monkeys. Stag on monkeys. Uh, there is uh, an accident in a lab during sort of a, a you know, let's free the animals yeah, kind like of thing. Pete is trying to... They definitely free the wrong animal. This is one that's infected with something called the rage virus uh, or becomes affectionately known as the rage virus. And uh, it... it you know, London essentially descends into chaos because uh, these very fast-moving uh, zombies sort of take over, and they're not traditional zombies. No, they're quick. They're alive. They can be killed just like a, a human would be killed. Uh, it's much more virus-based, but it it just follows initially a, a lone survivor and then kind of a small group of survivors as they move through this post-apocalyptic. Uh, Wasteland, just trying to get somewhere where they can survive. Clint, what'd you think of 28 Days Later?
1: Well, I had uh, so much fondness for this movie uh, when it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, John and I drove to Georgetown to, like, it was the only place showing it. Like, we really wanted to see it, so we went. And um, so that was exciting. And I was super, like, excited because... Um, one of my favorite bands has a bunch of music in it. Uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor. So mm-hmm. like it starts, and I'm like, I know this song, and it's like they're not a giant band. They're, I mean, like they are a big band, but they're kind of more a sub genre like post rock. From they're from Canada, and so I was like, oh, this is so strange that this is in here. I mean, it fits perfectly in the movie. So that, oh, made that me,
0: opening five minutes with yeah. that
1: song. So that made me, I was like so excited, and it just got me gelled for the movie, and I was, uh, I was really into it. Um, and I, so I, I loved the movie at the time and I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, so I was, I was really curious to see where I stood on it now. My first, um, take on it, like revisiting it was like, this looks insane. Yeah like the the digital format that they shot it in like I, at first i was so thrown off by like i did not remember it looking like this like i knew it was shot that way but i was like this looks terrible yeah um and so it, it took me it's a one while. of the few
0: movies from the, the era that shot in standard definition mm. it, it wasn't even shot in high def so even if you watch a high def version it's just right. a 1080p version of this 480 file.
1: Right. Well, I watched it on, like, I had a DVD copy, and mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was anywhere, so I just watched it on my DVD. And at first, I was like, oh, it's my DVD. Like, it looks awful. So then, immediately, I went afterwards to HBO Max had mm-hmm. it on there. I was like, I want to compare it. Still looked just as Terrible. bad. Terrible, yeah. But as I was getting into it more, and I started, like, forgetting about that part of it, it started feeling more like the the film stock of how it was shot started feeling like a movie from the 70s yeah. like it feels like a movie from the 70s now and that kind of like made me look at it in this different way and appreciate it in this different way and it's interesting just as this historical artifact of the time of shooting it digitally and regardless of any of that, as soon as I was getting back into the story and everything, and I got through it all, I I still really love the story. Yeah. And I still really love the characters. Um, I think it's really interesting how the middle part is just kind of this sweet story of these survivors and how they become this little family. Yeah. And uh, by the end, I, I still love this movie. Um, so where were you on this?
0: I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed this movie again. I had the same experience. Now I knew going in, it looks terrible. Yeah. Uh, I do wish, uh, and will always wish that they had just, I get what they're going for. They're getting for this very rough, uh, look to everything. Yeah. I wish they would have just shot 16 millimeters, super grainy and, you know, blown out the contrast and just let it be a, a very 70s era look mm-hmm. uh, I think that would have been more effective it would have been less distracting but at the same time I also started to forget about it especially as it went on and I, I'm with you the The characters are great the cinematography considering how ugly the film is cinematography is actually much better than you would think Yeah. when yeah. you're looking at just the composition of shots and the lighting and uh, there's there's some stuff in this movie especially early on that that I remembered vividly and revisiting it, it it was exactly how I remembered it. The tunnel scene, yeah him, yeah, him running and there's things just on fire and burning back behind him and just this this crowd of of fast zombie like things chasing him. Zack Snyder did a, a remake of Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. and did fast zombies and a lot of people like that movie. It's it's okay. I think this is is kind of the pinnacle of the the fast. Zombie genre. I this agree. is, uh, I think, far more effective. There's that scene. Do they go into a
1: church where they're all it, sleeping? It's when he first wakes up and he goes into the church in the beginning. Yeah, that. They that, start all set up? Yep. Yeah, that's freaking. That scene.
0: There's there's just different things like that where you can tell they weren't just going for fast, 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 fast. They really understood the difference between dark and light and speed and slow and and quiet and chaos and all these things. And they really play with contrast. This is um, Danny Boyle. Mm-hmm. And he really plays with contrast in this movie. And I, I think to great effect. Even – thematically when at the end they you know come into this kind of military convoy you've got this family unit that's been surviving small mm-hmm. and now suddenly they're thrust into this group of soldiers mm-hmm. and you know something that provides initial comfort doesn't hold comfort for very long no not at all and they start to realize you know okay grass is not greener mm-hmm. and it's it's that kind of uh, you know, once again, going back to the the horror idea that the real threat, the real scary thing, is man. Is man? <laughs> it's it's no, it's it's you know, it's the ones who can think and and reason. Right uh, is is much scarier than a a,
1: a beast like enemy. Um, that's scary when you're out in the open field. But I think this like much more succinctly um, captures what like. The Walking Dead has tried to do mm-hmm. over whatever 12, 13 seasons mm-hmm. in an uh, hour and a half. Yeah. Like, so uh, I I think that's an accomplishment. I totally forgot Christopher Eccleson was in this yeah. movie. Yeah. I think because at the time I didn't know who Christopher Eccleson yeah. was. Like, I mean, he was an established actor at that point, but just in my radar, I didn't know. Uh, and going back to like the digital format, I mean, I think like reading up on it and stuff like that like gave them the ability to make what could have been a really small movie look so much bigger because mm-hmm. like they could run and gun and do these giant scenes where they have streets cut off very quickly because they have such a short amount of time and yeah. like with traditional film gear like they wouldn't have been able to yeah. do that so from that aspect that's really interesting yeah. and like I think it probably gave Gave the movie more than what it took away, yeah. like um, in the end. But, I would agree with that. Um, so that's cool. But I, I, I was really excited to see that this, in most regards, really still stood up to me. And I, I really, the when I first saw it, the um, the end of it had such an impact on me. Like just where it ends up, and they're they're this little family group and living out in the the wilderness, mm-hmm. not wilderness, but like in this rural area and surviving and trying to find help still, but they're, they're surviving and they've made their life for themselves. And that still pl- was a really powerful moment. And yeah. like the, and especially from where it goes and where it ends up there, it, yeah. it was, it, it still feels like, I don't know, it feels like a really, uh, high mark on Danny Boyle's, you know, list of, of his, his, yeah. uh, Movies, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm I'm always a sucker for found family movies. Yeah, and this is this is a really good one where it's just the idea that yes, some people come together and they're awful, but other people come together and and it's really illuminating in movies like this, you know, kind of the hearts of characters and and what they are at their base level. Are they selfish? Are they? Uh, you know the the kind of people that are just going to band together for survival, mm-hmm. or are they the kind of people that understand that survival is about much more than just living? That yeah. it's about actually preserving civility and and some sense of family and and um, you know peace, mm-hmm. uh, essentially. To get corny, but I I just I love when a movie plays with those themes and looks at the idea of uh, you know especially when it's it's maybe. The people that you end up being family with aren't necessarily the people you were born to, but mm. the the people that you love and that love you, and you just form a little unit. I'll, I just I'm such a sucker for that. Yeah, I'm a sap. I'm a total sap.
1: <laughs> One thing I did notice that was kind of caught me off guard is just kind of the sudden change in character of Killian uh, Murphy's character by the end. That's a little uh, like when you look at it after the fact, it's like. He quickly changed from a guy who doesn't really want to kill anyone to like this murderer going around taking out this unit of military. But oh, wow. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's,
0: and, and I, I kind of took that as early on, he didn't have something that was threatening his family unit. Yeah. Now suddenly he did. And that's what tapped. I, I, two extra lines of dialogue would help there. Yeah but uh, you know it just that's that's my little fill in the For plot sure. hole version of the movie i
1: i mean it doesn't it doesn't make me like it any less but yeah. it's one of those things rewatching it after so many years no. noticing that character change all of a sudden but yeah. uh, regardless it
0: it's probably just a scene that was cut out of there or something it's possible a shot that just looked more terrible than terrible and
1: i mean it's not unjustified yeah. but like no. the situation that they're in so no yeah yeah, just give me a little scene of him crying
0: and having a little breakdown afterwards. Like, what just happened there? I don't understand myself. Well,
1: he had another injury to <laughs> yeah. deal with, so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's our that's our 50 years of horror.
0: Honestly, we could probably redo this entire episode with different movies and yeah. have just as much to talk about. That yeah. was the thing I, I had the hardest time with was realizing, oh, to narrow entire decade down to, you know, five of the best – and then just one review. It was it. It almost felt incomplete. But you could do this multiple times and still never hit on all of the the genre greats and the thing that 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 really speak to people and and that scare you.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what like first when we thought of it, I thought of maybe it would be like we try to pick one movie that to represent mm-hmm. that that uh, decade. But then I thought it was more interesting to like like we did. Trying to find one that maybe we missed that should be almost as important as some of these bigger movies. Um, I mean, we did that less as we went on along, but like the uh, oh well, it, it was still cool. Just I, I
0: think the one thing that connects all of the the films that we reviewed is they're not the obvious choices, right? And they're just as influential. True. And again, I I've said it like three times now, but I really think there's there's something in the horror community of of kind of genre filmmakers where they absorb this stuff left and right. Mm-hmm. They just eat it all up. And then what they're able to then produce is built on all of these other movies that came before whatever they're working on. Mm-hmm. And I think the most effective horror filmmakers aren't just the ones who have a great idea, but who are the ones that are studied in their genre. And you've got decades of movies that have come before you, and you can go back and literally see what has worked and what hasn't worked. It's film school mm-hmm. in a bottle, and and you can just take – uh, you know, and you can go earlier than Psycho, but the 60s, we picked that decade for a very specific reason. That's, I, I think, Psycho and, and some of the films around it are really what launches what we know of as horror. And there's there's just so much to learn there, and I think that's why – horror has gotten to a place that it is now a respectable genre because it's not just something that's for cheap audiences and for popcorn thrills it can legitimately explore found family and terror and feeling isolated or trapped or you know these are these are some very real things that people deal with and when you put them in the course of a story with characters you can explore some of those emotions uh, just by, you know, pushing people to an extreme. And I just, I think that's at the end of the day, that's what I love about horror. It's mm-hmm. this idea of here is a person at, at their rawest emotions. And these emotions have been brought to the forefront because they're in such an extreme situation. And I just find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all it takes is not even, I don't even have to like the characters. Am I invested in their story? if i'm invested in who they are or what their story is or or any of that uh you know now and i want to in the case of Hellraiser,
1: no i'm not <laughs> yeah you're not but
0: that totally makes sense you know it's just like i don't care about these people um you know even for me with Hellraiser, i don't i don't care about these people the daughter i you know i want her to succeed and i care about her but uh the rest of it you're you're probably right not said it out loud but it's probably too much time lying. spent with uh dad and his brother uncle frank Frank (laughs) All right So are we uh, Are we Sinetroning For the next episode Sure All right Let's give Sinetron A good old spin
1: Skin from two thousand nineteen with Jamie Bell, where he's like a neo-Nazi. Skin, God, like yeah, and he wants to like. Have okay. You, have you know what I'm talking about?
0: I remember reading about it, but it wasn't something where I don't even think I've seen a trailer for it. Uh, it's it's kind of in the the vein of American History X or yeah. Believer. Is that the one with Ryan Gosling? Believer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Skin. What's what's it streaming on? Um, it might be on Amazon. Okay. Um. Yeah. Okay. All right. It looked so. interesting.
1: and uh, Jamie Bell, he's good. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I like Jamie Bell. He's one of those actors that always turn in really good work and just never seem to be, you know, at the forefront of something or A-list. I'm assuming, and this is more of an independent movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And it came out in 2019. Mm-hmm. All right. Skin. I love talking about Nazis. So, you know. Yeah. There you go. Do
1: you sympathize with them?
0: I don't sympathize oh, okay. with them. I, I don't like the Nazis, Clint. I am horrified that Nazis have somehow uh you know the, they had a comeback? Yeah, well they're they're getting their horror movie reboot. What the heck? Nobody wanted the horror movie reboot of the Nazis.
1: Yeah, I don't know anyone <sighs> who signed up for
0: that. Yeah. And seriously, if you're a Nazi and you're listening to this, just call yourself a Nazi. All right, yeah, don't, don't play. Don't be around. a coward. Don't, oh, you know, this, that, and the other, and you've got a fancy name for it. just if you're gonna be a neo-Nazi, just say it. Uh this whole rebranding of of Nazism, it just it's it's so and it's it's not becoming of a Nazi. That's what it is. I know. I mean it's, I mean why rebrand? I mean they it's weak. Uh, you can't give it to them. They at least had a good look. Yeah. If you want to kill an entire <laughs> race of people, <laughs> at least stand up and say what you are. Right. Uh or change the salute. I don't know. Go either way, but come on, guys. Mm-hmm. I hope you're not listening. If you are listening, go to a different podcast. Why are you here? Um, white supremacists. Ugh. 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 Anyway, this has been <laughs> Cinebabble. Heck of a way to end. <laughs> Sinatron's the one that picked skin. Well, I, maybe, I don't know where he falls on All it. Right. Well,. Uh, this has been episode 40 of Cinebabble. Uh, very excited to have done a horror episode. Uh, we Probably should, won't be the last. we Will not be the last. Probably um, do it again next week just for the heck of it. Why not? You yeah. know, and just, we should do a Thanksgiving-themed horror episode. I'm all for it. <laughs> we'll just eat turkey and talk about body horror. It's great.
1: We can do a Christmas one and just do Black Christmas.
0: 100% love it. <laughs> all right. Thanks, as always, for listening. Clint, you have yourself a good one. And uh, we'll... We'll get things that that have impenetrable wires next time that cats can't chew through.
1: (laughs) Bye, Ken. Bye, Glenn.